Hey, I'm Nick, creator of Canna Cribs and Growers Network, where we have educated millions of people on how to elevate their craft. I have toured some of the largest grow operations, befriended the best growers, and built a network of the top cannabis companies. Join me on this next adventure where I document history with the pioneers shaping the global cannabis industry in real time. Welcome to the Canna Cribs Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Cannacribs Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Morin, and today's interview is with Michael Freitas. Now, you might know Michael as Kaju of Coastal Seed Company. He's been growing since the 60s and breeding for the past 15 years. So in this interview, you are going to learn a lot about how to breed, Michael's own personal workflow and setup, and his vision for the future of cannabis breeding. Enjoy. This interview was made possible by my good friends over at growershouse.com. If you're a first-time grower or, you know, one of the largest growers in the country that we film for Cannacribs, you're going to want to head on over to Grower's House for all your cultivation needs. Your lights, your nutrients, your soil, your grow tent, your trellis netting, you name it, they most likely got it. So I'll link to them in the description below. Head on over to growershouse.com, show them some love. Now, without further ado, let's dive in. Michael, welcome to the Can of Cribs podcast. It's good to be here. Yeah, and I uh, met you through Joe at Sproutways. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is uh, Michael Freitas. Kaju on Instagram. Um, I started uh, plant breeding uh, with Alfalfa Seed Research for a seed research company and got to work with uh, some renowned uh, breeders, not cannabis, they were mm -hmm. breeders of uh, either vegetable seed or hard wheat, triticale. And then I also, my main uh, job there was assistant plant breeder for alfalfa seed research. Wow. And how did you uh, make the leap into cannabis from alfalfa? Uh, well, uh, cannabis, I leaped into that before, uh, actually. Uh, the job came later on, but... Um, in 1967, when I got out of the Navy, I uh, smoked my first joint with a buddy of mine. We were going into a bar here in town, and uh, I'd never experienced it because I was uh, reluctant to smoke in the service mm. uh, with repercussions. I was in a, right. uh, I had a top security clearance, so I, I couldn't fool around with stuff like that. But anyways, uh, I had my first joint. I really liked it. It was real relaxing and stimulating at the same time. And then around... Uh, 1969, I moved up to Bonnie Dune and grew my first uh, cannabis. Wow. And at, at the time, all you had was, it was they were all land race at the time. Mm -hmm. There weren't any real hybrids. I was uh, working with some uh, weed from Thailand, uh, uh, Mexico, and Afghanistan, actually. Okay. So for all of our fans out there that's not familiar with the land race, Michael, how would you describe that compared to uh, a hybrid? Landrace uh, uh, is grown for many years in an isolated area with no contamination to any of the mm. modern genetics. And, um, you know, like an heirloom is, uh, they were made from uh, landrace years ago, like some of the, the uh, genetics from uh, Hawaii. At the time, um, the smugglers were bringing in Thai, Mexican mm -hmm. uh, seeds. What else was there? Mexican, uh, some, uh, mostly those actually, uh, maybe a little Afghani stuff, but uh, 
so they were basically uh, started from land race. Wow. It's, a, it's an un, unblemished line that's uh, not contaminated with, I use contaminated, not uh, uh, pollinated with any Cross other. Cross-pollinated. Uh, yeah, with any other uh, strains. Nice. Are there still land races out there today? There are. Um, some are... <clears throat> Some are a little difficult to acquire, like there's not many uh, Mexican pier lines left anymore. Mm. And then a lot of the lines that are still out there, the, the uh, countries are too dangerous to grow because of uh, fighting and unrest and mm. such. So they're still out there, but they're, they're, they're getting a little more difficult to obtain. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, could you teach me about the origin story of Kaiju and, and Coastal Sea Company? Uh, Kaiju is a... Uh, uh, Tibetan uh, lineage, oral okay. transmission. Um, I, I, I don't practice as much, but I, that's the lineage that I practice. And it's an oral transmission. I got the name Kaju from that. And um, I started uh, Coastal Seed Company, and uh, I'm trying to remember when that was. It was uh, 2016, I think. Okay. I, I, I can't really remember actually. Yeah, I was just doing a small scale and um, and was doing my breeding. Mm -hmm. So over the years you have been breeding under the Kaju brand and then Coastal Seed Company was a newer uh, company that you started to sell those? Um, actually um, Coastal Seed Company <coughs> Coastal Seed Company I, uh, as I said I started uh, eight or 10 years ago. And, and uh, Kaju uh, came when I uh, joined uh, Instagram. Okay. Because I, was, I wasn't even putting any of my work. I was doing some of the uh, blogs on the internet, uh, mm -hmm. sharing information, talking to other breeders, yeah. and uh, getting information on different land races that people were working with. Yeah. So you've built your uh, breeding uh, career and, and legacy without uh, social media for the most part. You've built all to up begin to the with, point. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's amazing. I mean, how uh, how did you first start getting the word out about your genetics? Uh, a friend of mine up in uh, Oregon, uh, Classic Seed Company. Um, he's a good friend of mine. He's no longer breeding, but he told me I should start in doing that, or he suggested that. Mm -hmm. And then also, uh, my good friend, uh, Bodhi, uh, yeah. told me, yeah, you should, uh, start, uh, trying to market your seeds. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. Um, the, the modern day tools of an Instagram, um, or YouTube where, where this episode will be living. Um, it's pretty powerful to, Get your story and message out to you know millions of people around the world um, through you know these different social networking sites. Um, but in the beginning, uh, did you rely heavily and, and maybe primarily on word of mouth and just kind of building up uh, just a, a friend friend base? Yeah, basically word of mouth. I had a few uh, friends that were like-minded uh, doing preservation work and working with land race, and we shared information. Yeah. That's great. So um, all the way up until today, um, what's your your day to day look like? Are you in the garden primarily the majority of the day? Uh, on and off all day. Yeah. Looking at the plants, um, taking my loop out there, looking for different things, trying mm -hmm. to evaluate uh, the uh, structure and such. 
hmm. blood structure, branching, things like that. Yeah. And uh, do you like uh, do heavy research as far as um, like taking notes and pictures? And are you comparing and cross analyzing um, from different uh, you know harvests that you've had in the past? I do normally this year, not so much because it was uh, uh, can't get into it too much. But it was a lot of things that uh, came up that uh, I had to take on, which I normally mm. don't as far as uh, doing different projects and at one site. Um, so I didn't take as much notes. Um, I did write down some things and I can, uh, I took a lot of, uh, pictures mm -hmm. in different stages of the plants. Yeah, that's great. And where do you source your, uh, stock for your breeding program? Um, I've got a lot of stock from years back, uh, from, uh, trading with friends Mm -hmm. Um, I had, I have still some friends in Europe that we share seeds, uh, uh, people in different countries that I've been acquainted with, uh, mm -hmm. they, they send me seeds sometimes, or I have them look for certain strains that I'm looking for to breed with in the near future. Okay. And are you, um, like looking for unique terpenes, structure, could you, uh, teach me kind of, uh, you know, what, what you look for in, in your uh, genetic catalog? Um, what I look for, terpenes are really important to me. Um, I'm not so, I'm not so uh, concerned about uh, high THC. Okay. Because um, a lot of the land race uh, has fairly low THC. I think around uh, some of them are like 14. Oh, but wow. the terpenes, terpenes uh, in the combination of the the low THC and the uh, the different terpenes, it's just incredible. The effect is uh, is uh, very unique. And Landrace uh, uh, has a lot of uh, unique terpenes compared to a lot of the common uh, genetics that are out there now. Okay. Um, what What's one of your uh, favorite cultivars that you're growing right now and, and what makes it so unique from that terpene standpoint? Um, well, one of the uh, ones that I'm growing now, there's a few. Uh, uh, Jehalabad Star is a uh, mm. an Afghani, and I first grew it uh, last year, and I noticed that uh, it uh, finished about three weeks early, and I thought, well, I'm going to be breeding. I, so I bred with that, and I uh, crossed that with a uh, one of my um, Highland Red Columbians. And to bring in the uh, early maturization, and I thought the combination would be uh, unique. Yeah, definitely. Are you, um, you know, researching, growing, harvesting, and then are you smoking it by yourself to find that kind of full, uh, you know, research period? Do you share with friends? Like, how do you get that uh, feedback um, uh, from seed to consumption? I, I share uh, with people, and uh, I like to get their opinion. And uh, whether it's uh, good or bad, I like I like all the opinion. Yeah. I want the honest opinion. Basically, um, as I mentioned earlier, Bodie's a good friend of mine, and he's mm -hmm. uh, he's quite the uh, quite the uh, tester on uh, terpenes and the effect and such like that. I just never uh, I, I never really acquired that uh, uniqueness of explaining the different uh, flavors, terpenes, and and such. The yeah. old uh, ways, I just did a, 
I would do a dry hit on a joint before I light it and I could get a good taste. Mm-hmm. And then um, some are washed out, some are really rich. You can tell right away. And um, that I still do that uh, yeah. to this day, actually. Yeah, some tricks never change, right? They, they still work for you and it, it's part of your process. Exactly. So for all those uh, new breeders out there in 2020 and beyond, what, what <clears throat> advice do you have for them, Michael? Well, um, I, I wouldn't recommend uh, a new breeder starting off with a land race. Uh, some probably would like to, but uh, one of the drawbacks on starting off with a um, certain land race is they take a long time to mature. Some are 22 weeks. Some of the Colombians are quite a bit longer than that. Ty is, is, is way long. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend um, them starting off maybe with um, some of the genetics that are out there now. Maybe they smoked a few different ones they really liked and in seed form. Yeah. And um, then they could, uh, they could uh, maybe get an idea. Of, well, I'd like to cross these two I really like and see what I come up with. So it's probably a, a, a good way for them to start off with. Okay. Yeah. And what, what would be the, the easiest kind of low-hanging fruit setup for a first-time breeder? How do you mean fruit setup? Uh, so your first-time setup as far as, you know, what tools you might yeah. need uh, to do your first breeding? Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm an outdoor breeder. I mean, I have mm-hmm. done some things indoor with uh, tents, but uh, basically... Um, you, you can either do uh, uh, selective pollinations in a, mm. a certain branches, lower branching or a certain branch that you like, mm-hmm. um, or you could do uh, breeding in a tent where it's more confined. Yeah. Um, my last year breeding, I did an open pollination. I had four Colombian males and I had uh, numerous um, females. So I uh, strategically put the males in amongst all the females and just let them mature and pollinate. Okay. I, lo- I love that aspect. It works really well for me. But if you're in an area where there's a lot of people around, you can't really do that. You're going to contaminate their crops and you'll probably <laughs> get a bad name from that. But uh, <laughs> I don't recommend it for people that are, uh, uh, you know, up in Mendocino. If you're, if you, I mean, it's, the pollen can go for a mile or more. But wow. So you, you have to be, um, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't have anybody growing around me, so I'm, yeah. I'm not worried about that. That's great. You have your own, you know, uh, contained property and environment where you can do all these fun experiments on. I, I really enjoy having that little place that I have here. So it's, it's nice. You've been breeding since the sixties, you mentioned, could you share, uh, some of your most memorable experiences in, in your breeding? I've been uh, growing since uh, 69. Growing since 69. Yeah, 69. Breeding, um, uh, I'm trying to remember when I, I did a little bit, uh, pulled around with a little bit then, but I really didn't get involved till probably, uh, oh, 10 or 15 years ago. Okay. Seriously doing breeding. Yeah. I pulled around with it a little bit and then uh, um, seriously, probably 15 years ago. That's interesting. So, you had um, all these years of growing. At what point did you say, you know what, I want to start breeding my own genetics? Uh, basically, when I uh, couldn't acquire some of the genetics and I had some uh, left over from years back, mm-hmm. I decided that I needed to do a seed increase to preserve it. 
because hmm. I couldn't really go back there and get it. Yeah. And then I decided uh, um, that I, I want to start seriously breeding. Okay. And since you started breeding, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, as you mentioned, what's been your greatest challenge uh, up until this point? Uh, probably some of the greatest challenges are uh, breeding with long flowering sativas. Um, they take forever, some of them. I had, uh, had uh, uh, some go as long as uh, February. And then you have to keep pinching the males back because they're, they're maturing quicker than some of the females are ready. So you keep pinching them back till uh, the females are uh, ready to accept the pollen. And then you just let the males uh, continue on and open up their, their flowers to pass the pollen on to the females. Okay. And you've seen the transition of the medical, you know, Prop 215 industry all the way over to the, the rack uh, Prop 64 era. Can you teach me about that transition and, and how it's been for you as a grower and a breeder? Uh, well, it's been, um, it's been a little difficult uh, in the aspect of um, if you wanted to market your seeds to dispensaries, um, you need a license. Mm. And uh, most of the small breeders or even the small cultivators um, don't have the money to spend on land and mm. uh, licensing. That's been quite a challenge. Yeah. So it kind of uh, squeezed out a lot of good people, good breeders uh, and small cultivators. Uh, it kind of forced them to go into the uh, gray area or whatever you yeah. want to call it. Yeah, almost like they're regressing back to uh, how the market was before um, with the, the licensing structure and, and sometimes, uh, as you put it, being too financially high um, barrier to entry. Yeah, that's that's a basic. I've, I've got a lot of uh, friends that just basically got squeezed out. Mm. They, they can't legally uh, market their seeds or, you know, or grow their beautiful flowers with their yeah. expertise. There's been a lot of good, uh, good uh, uh, cultivators and breeders that just uh, they can't uh, uh, continue their work and and uh, market uh, to the uh, licensed facilities because of that. Wow. And yourself, you have weathered that storm. Um, are there any you know perils of wisdom that you can share with other breeders or growers out there that might be facing a state that is about to go from medical to, to rack and how you weathered that storm? Um, well, if they want to continue on and, and uh, uh, grow and um, breed uh, with a license, I, I would recommend it. I mean, it's uh, basically the only way to go. Otherwise, you just stay in the current uh, uh, market that you're doing, Yeah. however you, however you want to call it. <clears throat> um, it's it's very difficult to transition this uh, like uh, we're talking about about the licensing it's uh, a lot of uh, paperwork it's very expensive and one of the criteria is if you don't own land you've got to um, share land with someone and um, sometimes that's difficult finding yeah. uh, somebody that you want to uh, share land with and do your work and that's where collaboration with other breeders comes in. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Are there uh, breeders on your property or do you share property with anyone in uh, California? No, I don't. 
Okay. I, so I, I, sh I share, I do collaborations. Uh, yeah. I, I grow on my own property myself. Okay. What, what type yeah. of collaborations uh, are you working on? Um, last year I did a collaboration with uh, Bodhi. Nice. And uh, with one of his uh, strains, American Skunk Selection. Okay. And I, uh, I, I do a lot of collaboration with uh, Snow High, Snow High Seeds. And um, I collaborated with him last year on one of his uh, strains. It's a reworked OG, it's Skywalker, uh, Purple Fire Tie, and Hell's mm. Angel OG. I cross my uh, males, Colombian males, with, uh, with both of those, okay. amongst others. We're planning on doing more collaborations. Uh, Snow High and I are already planning uh, our uh, work for next year, which we're hoping to get the Hawaiians going. If not, it will be a probably some uh, Mexicans and there may be some other ones. And then uh, Bodhi, uh, we're going to be doing more co collaborations as time goes on. Nice. Do, were you working with them before, Michael? Uh, or when you joined Sproutways, is that how you met them? Oh, no, I've known them for many years. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's pretty interesting collaborating. I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And kicking around different ideas and and uh listening to all the different opinions it's uh pretty stimulating yeah and it's definitely um something that i'd love to capture at some point in the future i know we have our individual podcast interviews but it'd be so cool to go out there and um you know film some research uh that you're doing with the plant right then and there um and have those oh. conversations that'd be really fun yeah that'd be that'd be interesting to do yeah so uh, at what point did you uh, start working with Sproutways? Um, I was uh, doing a, a short uh, talk up at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met Joseph up there. And we briefly talked. And then about a month or so later, we got together and we got in more of an extensive uh, conversation. And uh, shortly after that, I decided to join Sproutways and get into the uh, legal mark marketplace. Um, Sproutways is a, a interesting concept on uh, sharing information and um, um, just a, just a, it's a different uh, sharing information and uh, also the, the aspect of being able to uh, market your genetics. Yeah, well, I really love the curated aspect of it. Um, I've never seen a, a website that has just a very few highly curated breeders. Um, mm -hmm. The majority of the websites that I've come across, it's kind of like, you know, 50, 60 different uh, companies and they're aggregated. Some of them just have their own in-house genetics. Um, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of Sproutways and what Joe is, is doing and, and his team. And um, it's really cool to see you guys collaborate in that way as well. Yeah, I'm glad uh, we got involved. It's uh, it's quite a road. <laughs> Definitely. We're going to take a quick break, Michael. When we get back, uh, we're going to dive into your workflow. The Growers House Pro Desk helps enable the highest yielding cannabis growers in the game. How do they do that? 
Well, they actually have real commercial growers helping you on the phone. They have advanced product expertise because they've been growing themselves and they've been doing it for a while. And they have a customer-centric procurement process. So they help you get what you need when you need it. Check it out on growershouse.com. And if you're not familiar with Growers House, they really work with some of the largest nationwide MSOs, multi-state operators, all the way to international players, helping them with their importing needs on top of customized payment terms and help with recurring consumable orders. Um, so for all of our commercial growers out there, check out the Growers House Pro Desk at growershouse.com. All right. Well, we are back from the break, Michael. And um, I heard you have a friend with us today. So you have Luna on your lap. That's your Yeah, your this, is, this is Luna. Hi, Luna. She's, uh, she's 14 years old and she's a oh. rescue dog, been a great dog. She still is a good dog. Um, anyway, so I yeah, got her on my lap. Like I said, she's uh, blind, so I have to kind of keep an eye on her. Yeah, totally cool. We love dogs here. Um, so I, I'm happy to have Luna join the interview today. <laughs> so we're jumping back in after the break. And um, I'd love to hear about your uh, breeding setup, your process, uh, maybe simplify it for some of our folks out there that are getting into breeding for the first time. Um, what does okay. your setup look like? Okay, when I first, uh, probably like uh, around now, or uh, even sometimes when I'm still in the growing season, I'll have some ideas and I jot them down on what I like to work with certain um, certain strains. And I like working with uh, a combination of uh, either uh, pure land race or land race hybrids uh, mm -hmm. to help speed up the uh, uh, maturity. So what I do normally is I get a, I write down a list or things that I've been thinking about and talking with, with friends, put a list together. And then as time goes on, I uh, refer back to it and pick out certain strains that I want to work with. Okay. And then when the males come, when I try to figure out the males, they, they come um, later on, um, I might want a male of a certain strain, and then when I grow it out, I don't care for the male, so I have to move on to a different, uh, I have multiple males when I'm growing the seeds, and I do selections from that. Okay. Um, and then go from there, so um, I guess uh, back to your question, I, I try to think ahead of time on what I'm wanting to do, mm -hmm. and then, of course, uh, they change sometimes as you go on through the process yeah and is this a an annual process for you do you do it uh more frequently what what does that timeline look like as far as uh new genetics that you're going to be uh selling through sprout ways um it's a yearly thing this year i didn't okay. do any uh breeding i just did uh, uh grow outs and evaluation of the strains that i bred last year okay uh, my breeding last year and i'm evaluating those uh this year yeah. So I so I really didn't do any breeding. Okay. This year, what what are some uh, strains that you're currently selling on Sproutways that uh, someone could go to their website now and check out? Uh, well, there's uh, one called uh, Redhead, which is a uh, headband uh, Colombian. Uh huh. There's Joe a, was telling me about that one. That's like my signature strain. I'm gonna have to start smoking that now. <laughs> oh, I know. I I love the headband. Another one is. Um, 
uh, San Fernando Valley OG crossed with that same uh, those same males, uh, Colombian males, uh, motor breath, and uh, Romulan. Okay. Yeah, those are the four. There's some other ones uh, like the uh, Jehalabad Star. I'm going to be releasing that uh, mm. probably shortly. Also, I, I haven't yet, but um, I'm really liking the way that uh, the plants are looking. So yeah. And yeah. each year, your goal, Michael, would you say is one to two uh, new strains that you're going to be providing through Sproutways? Yeah, um, it's, uh, I don't I don't get crazy on the on the amount, but uh, if I come out with uh, three or four or so each year, that'd be great. Some yeah. of them I'm, that I, when I breed them, when they come out and I grow them, I don't uh, particularly care for them, so I just don't uh, don't release them. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you have a yeah. very high quality of standard, right? And you don't want to hurt the integrity with, uh, you know, the the growers that are running your genetics. Um, right. So I really, I really admire that about, uh, you know, your selection process because uh, yeah. it it probably be easy to, you know, make potentially make more money by selling all these different strains. But if they don't meet your criteria, then it it could hurt your brand. Yeah, it's not. Uh not something that I would do. Yeah. So when it comes to breeding, Michael, what is the most important thing that all breeders need to keep in mind? Uh, well, one of the main things to keep in mind is you don't want to have uh, any genetics that have intersex issues, uh, females that are going to uh, produce male pods on there. Um, so you want to work with uh, genetics that don't have that issue. I know some of the modern genetics have problems and people still use them, but um, they don't, uh, um, they're not necessarily something that they would breed with, but some do and they don't have uh, issues. I, I tend to stay away from those. Yeah. Uh, like this year, I, I uh, this last year, I've, I've never worked with uh, OGs or uh, motor breath or well, Romulan. I have worked with quite a bit, but mm -hmm. those were cuts that I, that I got. And then I, across those with my mail but I normally I normally have not worked with those yeah I, I just figured I'd uh, offer those uh, as, uh, as something that I hadn't done mm -hmm. I thought I thought it would uh, probably interest some people yeah and are you when you're looking to select these strains are you listening to market feedback or are you just growing are you breeding the strains that you want to grow <laughs> um well, normally I, I, I breed what I like. I mean, I have in the past. And that's like I said, that's one of the reasons that I uh, bred with these um, cuts last year. Mm -hmm. um, people like those. They still, uh, OG is a, still a real popular um, strain. And um, so I just thought, well, you know, I'd like to try that and see what happens, see if uh, uh, make some people happy and do some different uh, different aspects of the breeding. Yeah. And do you personally have a, a favorite strain that you've been growing or breeding for uh, a long time? Uh, well, one of my favorite strains is uh, Thai. Okay. Uh, um, I haven't, I'm going to probably, I may even try a little next year, but I'm going to be, uh, Snow Eye and I've been talking about this for many years actually, and we're going to do some uh, Thai breeding here in the near future. That's one of my favorite Vietnamese Hmm. Uh, also, and then some old uh, land race Mexicans from the seventies. Wow! Really well, like I'm not really, I'm not really uh, uh, 
big on Afghanis just by themselves. Okay. I use, I use them as a tool to speed the, the uh, uh, maturity up. Interesting. But, uh, so you, you cross particularly for their ability to speed it up. Well, that and uh, also some of the aspects of some of the Afghanis too. The, a lot of times you, you get a combination. You'll have a Afghani leaning uh, pheno, and then you'll have a more of a, a narrow leaf sativa pheno. Okay. Um, and I'm I'm a sativa guy. That's one of the strains that I like myself yeah. personally. But I remember we were talking about that. So since the beginning of uh, hitting that first joint, walking into that bar, you've been a sativa guy. Yeah, I was Colombian. I smoked. Yeah. My first joint. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I want to try fun. some of those uh, OG. Well, I guess maybe not literally OG, but I need to try some of those legendary strains. Yeah. I mean, where I don't know where you're located actually, but it doesn't really matter now. But I mean, yeah. uh, well, I could uh, help you out in that aspect. I yeah. Guess. Well, we're, we're <laughs> always out in California filming. Well, so stop we'll, by we'll anytime and yeah. um, we can we can share some thoughts and I love flowers. it. Yeah, we'll yeah. have a smoke session. Uh, maybe we yeah. can bring in Snow High and Bodie. Um, I'm going to be interviewing them as well. So I get to hear their story as well, how they got into the industry and uh, the different genetics that they've been breeding. So really, really happy that I met Joe and Sproutways and got introduced to you guys. Yeah, Bodie and uh, Snow High are a couple of good uh, friends. They're, they're, great, uh, they're great people. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, really... Uh, really grace to be able to work with them yeah are there uh any new strains on the horizon that you can share with us that you've been working on um kind of behind the scenes uh well uh some more that i bred last year that i'm going to be releasing one is a uh, uh oaxacan land race that i crossed uh with the same uh uh colombian males it's a land race oaxacan that i got from a fellow in uh in Mexico. Okay. And um, I'm drawing that out this year. Um, there's another one called uh, Yellow Scorpion. It's an Afghani mm. uh, that was selected by a friend uh, over in Afghanistan. And um, that's a uh, one that they particularly use for hash. Okay. So, uh, and it's, it's specifically a, it's a bred for hash making. They selected that for hash huh. making, yeah. Um, what would be those properties that they are looking for? Probably resin production. Um, I, I never did ask him. Uh, it was a particular pheno. Mm. Um, I have the original uh, genetics, and then uh, that was selected out of that. Mm -hmm. They probably look for trichome production. Um, uh, I don't really know if they're really interested in branching that much, but... Uh, I've never really talked to any of them about it, but it'd be a good thing to do. I'd have to ask him sometime. Um, probably resin production and uh, maturity because uh, their weather is so different. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I they think... grow in, uh, in uh, real uh, uh, poor soil, a lot of them. Some are, some are uh, rich soil, but I mean, some mm. of the places uh, the land race grows in just really poor soil. It does very well. It's been um, acclimated to it and it's learned to... Uh, um, extract what it needs out of uh, the soil that's provided to them. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, what countries, uh, you said in, in earlier in the episode that there's some kind of war-torn countries that would be difficult to get in to get those land races, but what, what areas of the world have uh, yet to be 
explored or discovered as far as land races go? Oh, well, Lebanon is tough right now. I have some Lebanese that I got a few years okay. back. Actually, uh, my friend went there around uh, nine or 10 years ago. It was uh, sketchy at best when he came back and told me about that. Um, Lebanon, um, Africa, there's parts of Africa that are in turmoil. Yeah. Um, I, I have a new source that I'm waiting on some genetics from Africa right now. Um, let me see, there's, uh, of course, you know, Afghanistan. Um, uh, I really wanted to go over there a few years ago and it's just, uh, I never, I never had the window to do it when it wasn't as uh, tough, but. Yeah. Well, if it gets get, better, I'll, I'll take a trip with you. Yeah, if it gets better, I'd love to go. Yeah, I'd love to <laughs> check it out and explore. Back on that question, uh, some of the countries would be uh, Africa, uh, Mexico, I wouldn't say they're undiscovered, but there could be some uh, land race, uh, uh, pure land race left. I know uh, Bodhi went, uh, I don't know, three or four years, maybe a little longer than that. Mm -hmm. And he only found three that he considered to be pure land race. And about a few years earlier, he found quite a few more. So those in Mexico are being um, um, crossbred with uh, faster flowering mm. uh, strains, uh, indigo, different things. There could be a lot of the common strains here, yeah. uh, popular strains here they're growing. Um, Thailand uh, is a little more difficult. Uh, it's not really war torn, but uh, finding like the old uh, strains that we were getting in the 70s, the old Thai sticks uh, and the Buddha sticks, those were phenomenal. I still remember those like it was yesterday. And the Thai um, stick was actually from Thailand. Yeah, some were from actually from uh, um, Burma and Cambodia. I have a Burmese mm -hmm. uh, that were, they were tied on sticks uh, that I got from my friend up in uh, Oregon. Hmm. And um, it's uh, it's a strain that he named uh, Smuggler's Choice, and they were sticks. They were from Burma, not Thailand. Uh -huh. And he acquired some seeds from those, and he uh, gave me some of those to uh, nice dry. And I I uh, I crossbred that with my Burmese uh, inbred line that I have. Yeah, I I wonder <laughs> I wonder if there are. Um... Like if someone, like if my father were to smoke Thai stick again today, and if it was the same genetics, I wonder if there's certain like old factory bulbs at play that would transport him back to the 60s. <laughs> 70s, yeah. It's, uh, 60s, 70s. Yeah, it, it very well could be. I mean, I, I, uh, I can tell you real briefly here in uh, 1972, I grew some uh, seeds that I got out of uh, Thai sticks uh here locally and uh i grew them all the way to finish and at the time the weather was uh, much different and i grew them till uh almost february and they wow. when they were i had no mold problems with them at all and i didn't really use much fertilizer it was grown on a dairy farm an old dairy farm huh. a friend of mine and when they were harvested and dried uh they tasted identical to the imported tie sticks it was a phenomenal stony weed yeah you know i don't know they've never been i never in those days you didn't test but you know potency and everything but 
lot of people say, oh, well, they, they have stronger. I've oh, only heard it got stronger. <laughs> yeah, well, I know they have stronger strains out now, but uh, the combination of the terpenes and whatever uh, amount of THC they had in those days was, in my book, phenomenal. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, we're going to take our last break here, Michael. When we get back, we're going to talk about the transition of our industry to kind of the, the big business industry that we're in today. Grower's House has now partnered with precision irrigation leader Netifim. You might have seen and heard of Netifim on past Candy Cribs episodes like Los Sueños Farms, one of the largest farms at that time growing outdoor built on Netifim irrigation. So Grower's House has now partnered with Netifim to bring to you, right now listening to this, free irrigation design layouts for your commercial cannabis facility. You can submit your request at growershouse.com. All you got to do is just click on ProDesk, and I'll definitely link it in the description below. All right, so we're back from the break, Michael, and I'd love to talk with you about the transition from kind of the, the market we used to have now, I would consider almost big business in this country, especially in Canada and some, some other places around the world. Uh, so how has uh, this transition uh, worked for, for you across the country and um, other breeders in your opinion? Uh, corporate uh, took over and with the big money and um, changed everything. It's, uh, they're doing massive amounts and uh, I don't know. I really can't say too much yeah. myself, but I mean, it's... Uh, we spoke a little bit about it earlier about uh, squeezing out the uh, uh, breeders and cultivators. Hmm. Um, basically, uh, big money come in, hedge fund people or whatever you want to call them uh, with the big bucks coming in. And uh, a lot of them have never even grown uh, marijuana. And, uh, and then maybe some have or went involved before. But uh, I don't know. I think it's uh, in a lot of ways, it's uh, ruined a lot of things. I mean, it's... Uh, People maybe have become aware a little bit, but I don't know. I, I really don't have too much to say about it. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, in a lot of ways, it ruined things, yeah. in my opinion. Has but, it changed the quality of, of medicine and uh, flour um, and, uh, and everything included, in your opinion? I mean, I honestly can't see how huge, uh, massive amounts of... Uh, Cannabis are going to compare with a, a, a smaller breeder that's doing quality flowers. Yeah, I, I could be wrong, but do you I see? I mean, it's hard to it's hard to maintain a massive amount of uh, flowers with disease problems and mm. uh, insects and such on a large scale uh, versus uh, it's hard enough on a smaller scale. Yeah, and is that, I think is that sound right or what i mean is that yeah oh i mean you agree I, with that i don't know that's yeah. just my opinion I mean, no i i love hearing your opinion um because you have seen this industry transition um and and for some people um it could be a better transition than for others um i think true. they'll they'll ne there will never be the uh quality that comes from a craft grower such as yourself when you have that attention to the plant and that energy every single day um, and you're not having to combat um, as you put it all the different pests and the diseases that uh, come with such a massive canopy um, I don't think it is comparable um, however I think there are 
Um, there could be arguments uh, for uh, the size of a cooperation just producing flour for cartridges um, or yeah. maybe a, a lower, um, not necessarily saying like a lower THC, um, but uh, maybe a lower quality um, potentially if it's a, a larger crop um, that's a little bit more manageable um, that might not need as much uh, attention to detail or you know, in filming Canna Cribs and Deep Roots, um, sometimes, you know, we, uh, we ask the growers, um, what are, what are the strains that are the easiest to grow? And what are the strains that are the most difficult? And sometimes the difficult ones can produce the highest quality flower at the end of the day. But if it's too difficult to manage, um, and it requires more, um, you know, time, Mm -hmm. um, it might not fit into the, the regimented business model of, uh, exactly. you know, growing. Yeah. So I think there's always going to be a place for both in the marketplace. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm sure, you know, uh, uh they don't, they're not really concerned with, uh, the very, uh, meticulous, uh, flowers. They're doing extractions and I don't think they're really worried about, uh, that, that much. Yeah. And but. for, for you, um, what does the future of the cannabis industry look like? Um, do you want to continue doing breeding at this scale? Do you want to grow to to compete with um, that canopy size? Like, what's your vision? No, I don't want to compete with the canopy size. I'm I'm fine doing uh, small little projects that I do. That's plenty for me. I'm yeah. getting older. I I. I don't have the energy. I mean, I enjoy doing uh, what I do. It's a smaller um smaller grow and um I, I never really cared about growing a large amount of flowers i grow like this year i'm evaluating i'm growing probably more flowers than i've grown in quite a few years actually but wow um it's just for evaluation so i'll, I'll uh once i get done with the evaluation i'll eliminate some of the strains and then mm -hmm. um, go from there but no, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm happy with the way I'm going now and I'll, I'll keep doing this uh, until I'm uh, not able to do it anymore. You know, I still enjoy it. So but if, if I quit enjoying it, then I guess it's time to quit. Yeah. Once that, <laughs> that passion stops, that's a really good point. Um, yeah. You'll continue to, you know, uh, put in that labor of love until it's, uh, you know, uh, no longer satisfying. And, exactly. and hopefully, hopefully never. I, I want to continue to see you breeding and succeeding um, for many years to come. Yeah, I, I have uh, now I have help with some things uh, like digging holes and stuff. It's uh, nice to have uh, younger help to do that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so that's uh, that's kind of nice. And I like and I, like I said, I like the scale of uh, size that I'm doing right now. It's a uh, yeah. small, small size. And that's it's plenty. You can still produce a lot of seed. Yeah. And you have a wonderful partnership in Sproutways because they can handle the uh, distribution and logistics of all of that. Exactly. Um, yeah. I think that's a really neat supply chain partnership where you get to pour out your passion and love for the plant in the research and breeding component and then provide, you know, whatever product they need for their orders. Uh, but you don't have to deal with all the customers directly and, you know, everything that goes in with that. Yeah, that makes it a, a lot easier. What's another uh, another good thing is too we could we're going to be well, we are sharing information on test results, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, notes, some notes. We're going to be mm -hmm. you know sharing information. So when someone is interested in a strain, we can provide them with uh, 
with a uh, uh, test results. Uh, also, uh, smoke reports from uh, people that are nice. knowledgeable, and it makes it uh, makes it nice. People can go. Well, what does it smoke like? Blah, blah, blah. Sign me up for the smoke report. I don't know how yeah, I get on that go. list, but <laughs> yeah, there you sign go. us up. Our entire crew wants to be on the smoke report. You're uh, in there. You're panel. in there. <laughs> so the the future of breeding, Michael. What what does that look like the next ten years? Um, in, in the world of cannabis growing and, and consumption? Well, I, I know there's, uh, nowadays, I know there's interest in autoflower. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not interested in it myself, but there's, people want it, and there's, uh, I guess it could be lucrative. I'm sure it is lucrative. Um, I haven't delved in it much myself, I mean, as far as looking into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Feminized is, uh, there's still going to be people that want to feminize. Um, clones are still going to be be there. Um, I'm going to be still sticking with seed. Mm-hmm. I mean, seed, uh, if you want an exact rec- rec- you want an exact copy of a plant, then cloning is a good way to go or feminized. Okay. Um, and for people that don't want to fool around with uh, looking for the males and searching for different uh, phenos, then there's that aspect to go. I mean, I enjoy looking through all of them, and and um, it's not boring at all or or uh, tiring. It's part part of the craft. Part of the craft, yeah. And it's and it's actually I look forward to that. Sometimes I don't get very many males, and other times I get a lot. Yeah. You know, and then there you get these special males that. Uh, this last uh, season, I got a uh, Romulan Colombian male that looked identical to a female in branching, hmm. and it took forever to to uh, show the sex. But I mean, the structure and everything was uh, magnificent. You don't it's normally get. Um, I don't normally get males that are that look like that. Once in a while, I do, but you look for that. Yeah. So that's kind of a. Where does uh, where does tissue culture fall in? Uh, well, um, tissue culture is uh, pretty prevalent now, I think, and uh, you can keep it for a longer length of time, I guess. Uh, not really. Uh, we're looking into that ourselves right now. Not okay. really to do it ourselves, but um, um, I've seen people that have uh, done tissue culture, and when they first get them and plant them, they look kind of rough. Mm. And then as time goes on, when they grow, they're, he showed me some plants, a friend of mine, and uh, I couldn't tell they were tissue culture. They look just like yeah. cuts, regular cuts. I think it's uh, there's something in uh, tissue culture that's going to be uh, good that I'm, I'm looking into. And I have old seeds that are uh, 40, 50 years old, and they won't germinate. So I'm looking into uh, embryo rescue, which they'll open wow. up a, a seed and then try to to germinate that with uh, certain types of auger and oh my takes, gosh uh, it's a uh, I mean they've done it with old seeds at uh, well over 50 years old I mean but it takes a certain I don't I don't really know anybody that I would recommend but I'm still looking because I, I do have some old uh, genetics that I would love to uh, yeah have somebody that has the expertise to to uh, do that. Yeah, I think, I think his name is Ulrich. I'll have to go back and, and watch the episode again. But I went out mm-hmm. to go film Tikkun Alum in um, Palm Springs. 
and or is technically Adelanto, California. The episode's live on YouTube, so you can check it out. But they actually have a tissue culture department, and I believe he was the director of their laboratory. He specialized um, in tissue culture for uh, a tobacco company prior to the cannabis industry. Oh, Um, so he he taught us so much about tissue culture and um, they, they are rocking and rolling over there. So if you're looking for someone, I'd be happy to make the introduction. I would like that introduction. That'd be yeah. Great. Yeah. You got it. So future of breeding um, over the next 10 years, do you see more breeders coming online? Do you see less? Um, what is it? What does it mean to be a breeder these days? Is there a, a bar that's being lowered as technology advances? I'm hoping that there, there, we get more breeders coming. Um, if people don't get discouraged uh, mm-hmm. from uh, all licensing and all that, I mean, I, I'm hoping some of the younger generation uh, will do it. Um, I know I want to get my son involved. He's up in Portland, but uh, nice. Um, we're not quite ready yet, but I do want to uh, get him involved. Yeah. Um, I, I hope they have more younger breeders. Um, because it's uh, it's needed, and then uh, especially uh, working with the land race genetics, that's uh, something that's uh, needs to be pursued. There's a lot of uh, uh, medicinal benefits, and I think uh, we're gonna uh, somewhere down the line they're gonna find cures from pure land race. I yeah. think for some of our uh, medical problems. I I bet I I believe you and. Um, let's say there's a, a first-time breeder listening to this interview right now, and they don't have stock to pull from. They don't know where to go. What are some resources that uh, you can recommend to get them up and running for the first time? Well, uh, they could contact us through Sproutways. Okay. Uh, that would be the probably a good way. Or if, uh, I'm trying to think, if they... If they happen to know of a, a seasoned breeder, they could talk to them. Mm-hmm. But they're welcome to get a hold of us through uh, Sproutways. That's great. And, uh, we could uh, direct them uh, in the right, uh, put them in the right direction. Yeah. At least uh, give them a couple of uh, couple of uh, ways to go. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know this interview is going to inspire uh, potentially a new generation of breeders, as you put it. Um, you know, some of these new connoisseurs that are um, entering the industry for the first time and, and trying to learn. You know, we get a lot of people on the, the Growers Network YouTube channel um, that are first-time beginners just now entering the industry. So I'm really excited to get this interview out into the, the ether. Um, is there anything else, Michael, that maybe we didn't cover today that you'd like to share? Um, <clears throat> well, I hope uh, out of uh, people that watch this, I'm I, imagine there's going to be uh, quite a few, mm-hmm. I would think. I hope that uh, some of the new breeders, even uh, even just to do preservation work, they get involved in the in the land race, yeah. uh, wherever they can find it. Yeah. Pure land race and then get involved because it's, uh, even though some of them are, well, most of them are very long flowering, they're very rewarding. And um, uh, most of them don't require uh, fertilizer or super rich soil. Is there a map, Michael? Is there a map where we can point people in the right direction of, oh, we think there's a land race in this country over here. If you live there, maybe stop by on your way back home from work. Um, is there any type of documentation of where these land races are that have been yet to be discovered? Uh, a map? No, I don't know if there's a map, but I mean, um, 
like I mentioned earlier, I don't know if you would discover a new land race in Mexico. It would be probably unlikely, but not out of the question. But I mean, yeah. like Africa. Uh, well, um, parts of Indonesia, maybe some of the countries like that. Okay. Um, Afghanistan, there's still strains there that people don't have. We, we will link them in the notes of this video. So who knows? I mean, Growers Network, including our forum <clears throat> and our YouTube channel, uh, we probably have about 160 plus countries represented. Uh, oh, we have nice. fans from all over the world. So hopefully someone will listen to this um, and, uh, you know, go on a hunt and, and let us know what they find. Yeah, if anybody ever wants to uh, contact me through uh, Sproutways, I would be... Uh glad to uh, talk with them and give them my opinion. Definitely. It's, well, thank you. Nice to be able to share my information from my years of experience. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of this podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really grateful for your time, Michael, and, and everything that you've shared with me and our audience. Um, so I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon and, and I'm going to be interviewing Bodie, um, Snow High, and uh, a couple others as well. Great. Thanks for inviting me on this. You got it. All right. Have a, a wonderful day and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks again to growershouse.com for not only making this interview possible, but supplying growers worldwide with the tools they need to elevate their craft. Check them out at growershouse.com or across the socials at growershouse. They have an awesome YouTube channel and a great Instagram as well. And while you're there, check out Canacrips. Check out Growers Network. Give us a follow, show us some love, and I'll see you on the next one.